You can be fine in your place in Acts chapter 8. We will be back in Acts chapter 8 one final time here. I know we got we to keep things moving this morning. I know you don't want to be here all day, so we're going we're gonna to keep it going. I do encourage you to come back for prayer tonight and communion, such an important part of what we do as a church. As you know, the Lord's given us two ordinances. We saw the first one this morning with baptism of believers and the second ordinance we have as a church is the Lord's Supper, a communion as a time to come together as a family and, and, and make sure that we're all good together, make sure that we're good with the Lord. And that's just a checkpoint for us. We do it, you know, every so often, about, you know, every quarter roughly. And, and um, I don't want you to miss the importance of it. You know, we talk about that every time. But um, I, I think in today's, uh, today's age, we we misunderstand or, or don't care as much as we should probably about, about that ordinance. Um, so I encourage you to be back here tonight. But if you were here last Sunday, you might remember we began working through the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch at the end of Acts chapter 8. It's a very popular passage of scripture. We, we went through it and talked about that some last week. And Leading up to that story, we saw how Philip had been preaching in Samaria, how God was doing such a great work, all sorts of miracles, all sorts of great things were happening. The gospel was going forth in the mighty way, so much so that the Jerusalem church sent uh, Peter and John to, to help Philip out because the, the, so much good things were happening and, and they needed to receive the Holy Ghost. Again, again, this was a transition time, so the believers, the people in Samaria were believing, they were being baptized but in the transition time, the Holy Spirit came through the ministry of the apostles still. And, and so Peter and John came and they laid hands on those new believers and they received the Holy Ghost. Different than we receive him today. Obviously, again, that's a transition time. We receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost comes to indwell us at the moment of salvation. Today, this was a little bit different. But that got the attention, all of that activity, all of that got the attention of a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. And Simon wanted in on the power that he was seeing through God's messengers, but Simon's heart was not right. We talked about that key verse last week, Acts 8, 21. I'll read it to you again. This is Peter talking to Simon, says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And we took that as the basis of our study, even moving forward through the rest of this chapter, because we began to compare the interaction between Peter and Simon with the interaction of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and we use this matter of the heart as kind of the, the, the key that we were, were building off of. And, and it's so important. Our, our heart, obviously, we, we all know this, but our heart is the key before the Lord. You know, 1 Samuel 16, 7, many of you know this verse, says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on, on his countenance, speaking, this is speaking uh, of Saul, nor in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And our heart, as in, in, it deals with all issues of life, is of the utmost importance, where our heart is. And so we took the time to kind of talk about that, how our, our heart can be deceitful, how our heart can deceive us. And, and, and so we need to constantly be evaluating that our heart is right uh, before the Lord. We need to make sure that our heart is in line with God. And, and, and sometimes it gets out of it, you know, and so we need to, we need to be sure that we're checking ourselves. That's, that's what makes the Lord's Supper so important. It allows us an opportunity to honestly evaluate and check our heart. But in, in that vein, we started out by looking at Philip. And in Philip, we saw the heart of a soul winner. And we saw what, just the heart that he had for that Ethiopian eunuch. And we learned that the heart of the soul winner is, is ready. He's ready to act ready to act in complete obedience and complete trust and, com and, and complete urgency, you know, for the Lord. He's ready to accompany, and he joined himself to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's ready to answer because he had an answer. He was ready to answer what the questions the uh, Ethiopian eunuch had. And that's the heart of a soul winner because a soul winner thinks of others over themselves, and they think of God's glory over their own, and they understand the mission that we've been given. So they take it seriously, and so they're prompt, and they're personal, and they're prepared to share the gospel and to make disciples the mission that God's given us on this earth. So that was last week. But today we're going to look at the same story. We're just going to look at it from the perspective of the Ethiopian eunuch. So last week we looked at it from the perspective of Philip. And today we're going to look at it from the perspective of the Ethiopian eunuch. Because the Ethiopian eunuch also had a heart that we need. 
And that's the heart of a seeker. That's the title for today's message. So we had the heart of a soul winner last week, and today we're going to see the heart of a seeker. And what we're going to see today is that this guy, as he was seeking out the Lord, was able to push aside many of the very things, the, the exact same things that get in our way today and that keep us from drawing close to the Lord. And, and so, you know, we need to understand what he is doing here. We need to understand how he's seeking and why he's seeking and what he's able to put aside. And so, like Philip, he had the right heart. And, and there's too many times that, that we don't, and we have a hard heart, or we have a prideful heart. And that keeps us from having a relationship with the Lord the way he desires. For some people, it keeps them from having a relationship with the Lord at all. And they never get saved because of their, their hard heart and their prideful heart. And then others that, you know, do get saved, it, it, they won't take it further and deepen and develop that relationship with the Lord, going all in with him. You know, we need a heart of David in seeking out the Lord, who said in Psalm 27, verse 8, When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart, you see, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. What an awesome verse that is. Like, how incredible would that verse just to be able to be said of each and every one of us individually that God says, man, I want you to seek me. And our answer is, Lord, I'll do it. Lord, I'll seek you from my heart, from the bottom of my heart. I will seek you and I will seek your face. What I find is that too many times our heart's seeking everything else but the Lord. There's so many things in this life that our heart is chasing after. And the Lord, if he's on the list at all, is at the bottom. And we're seeking things that fulfill our flesh. So there are some important lessons that we need to learn for the, from the Ethiopian eunuch this morning. And we have a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to go ahead and get right into it. We're going to pick up the story again, verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. We'll read down through verse 39. We looked at verses 39 and 40 last week, but um, verse 26. Acts chapter 8, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. And the spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the time we've already had this morning, just seeing those believers submit to, to, to water baptism just as a picture of, of what you've done in their life already and their desire to, to follow you in obedience to the commands you've given us in your word. And, and Lord, as, as we look forward to tonight, as we, we will share in the Lord's table together, it's such an important time for our body. Um, Lord, this is, a great, this is a good day, and, and it's a great day. And, and Lord, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for everybody that's here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you speak to each and every one of us. And Lord, it's, it's, it's only your Holy Spirit that can teach us your word. It's only your word that can do the work. And Lord, I don't have anything to say, so I pray that you move me aside and that, that your spirit and your word work together in a mighty way in, in our hearts this morning. Uh, to change us and to mold us more into your image for your own glory. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that you're honored through it and, and through all that we do today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, we covered, you know, most of this same 
territory uh, last Sunday. But, but today we're coming at it just from a little bit different perspective from that of the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's interesting to me uh, because for a guy who's, this is the only place, you know, he's mentioned uh, in the Bible, um, there's actually quite a bit of information given about him. Verse 27 in particular goes into to some detail about the man, and, and we'll get to all that in a second, but I just think it's important to note that because it tells us that the Lord wants us to take note of this guy. There's some things about this guy that the Lord wants us to notice. This is obviously a very important story just in the book. We, we, we talked about that in the, in the transitional aspect of God's focus on the Jews to the Gentiles that we've, we've been talking about and that, that kingdom gospel to the gospel of grace. And we'll talk about that even a little bit more this morning. But, but, but with the, this guy, I think the Lord wants us to take notice as much as anything because of what we see and what we can learn about being the heart of a seeker and having the heart of a seeker. And that that aspect of having a heart of a seeker plays out for us in three very specific attributes that we see in our text. Again, this is just like last week, very simple. This is a very simple, very practical message, but, but super important to really going where the Lord would have us to go and be the people that the Lord would have us to be. And so there's three attributes we need to learn this morning and we need to apply to our life. And, and here's where it begins. It's the first attribute of the heart of a seeker. What we see with Ethiopian. Ethiopian eunuch is that he acted humble. He acted humble. And when I say he acted humble, I don't mean it, it was an act like he was putting on or he was faking. No, he acted humble because he was humble. And I say that because this wasn't just some regular dude. Look at verse 27 again. This is where we get some of the details about him. And he, speaking of Philip, arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. You see, this was a man of great authority. That's what the Bible says. He reported directly to the queen of Ethiopia. He was the secretary of the treasury for her. He, he was the money guy. And that was a fairly prestigious role. He was one of the higher-ranking officials in all of Ethiopia, which is different than it is today, but, but covered a large portion of, of northern Africa. It was one of the highest ranking officials in all of that land. And with, the, and with that in mind, just that understanding, listen to verses 20 through, 28 through 31 again. So this guy, he was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Esaias, or Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So if you think about this, this is kind of an interesting situation. Because there's, there's no doubt that a man of this stature would not have been traveling alone. At, at a minimum, he wasn't the driver of the chariot. Somebody else would have been guiding the horses. There's the possibility that chariots at that time were either mostly driven by horses. Some were, you know, led by men, like rickshaw type of thing. Um, that's probably not the case here. It's probably horses. But, but at least someone would have been, been guiding the horses. That's confirmed in verse 38 when he commanded the chariot to stand still. Not, not the horses. He wasn't, you know, commanding them. He, he, he was telling the driver to stop. But there very likely would have been more people around, right? This is one of the highest ranking officials in, in a very large country in northern Africa. So he very likely would have had some sort of entourage. And here comes Philip running, running to the chariot at the Lord's command. And I don't have any idea if security was, you know, anything back then like it is today. But, but I think you can see where I'm going with this. There was no way... Philip was going to get to that guy unless he allowed it. He had to be willing and open to some dude running up to his chariot that he didn't request. This is at the Lord's command, not the Ethiopian eunuch's command. The guy's running up to him. He had to welcome him in. And guess what he did? Because he didn't think too highly of himself. A man of great authority, certainly great riches, was willing to, to accept this man that's coming running up, running up to his chariot. And why? Why was he willing to do that? 
because he didn't allow the success of his physical life to skew his view of the importance of spiritual life. Because even though he was a man of great authority, reported directly to the queen, he had traveled to Jerusalem to worship. He was a man of Ethiopia, so he wasn't a Jew. He would have been a proselyte. He would have been of the lineage of Ham. So obviously a proselyte. But listen, not even a full proselyte who could worship in the temple. He went all the way to Jerusalem and he wouldn't have been allowed to worship in the temple because he was a eunuch. And I'm not going to read this verse to you, but you can look it up on your own because I'm, I'm, that's a true statement I made from Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. And when you read it on your own, you'll understand why I'm not reading it right now. It's not, it's not bad, it's just... I just don't want to, and you'll, you'll see why when you read it, Deuteronomy 23.1. But anyway, listen, from coming up from northern Africa, I know you're reading it right now, and you're not listening to a word I'm saying. That was a man, I should have thought that through a little bit better. It is interesting. Just go ahead. Get to it and read it. Just pick up. I'll keep, just going to keep talking. Just pick up. You'll see what I'm saying when you get there. Some of you have already read it. So he's coming from northern Africa. So he had to travel a very long ways to worship in Jerusalem. Today, from the center of Ethiopia to Jerusalem today, that's about 1,500 miles. Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he was probably traveling that far. The borders of Ethiopia were different um, than they are today. But, but it doesn't matter. He was traveling a long ways. That's quite a commitment, especially when you're coming by chariot to go to Jerusalem to worship. That's a commitment. And he was committed because he was seeking something more. He was not fulfilled in his position and his riches in this world. And man, I wish the same could be said for most American Christians today. You know, Paul warned of this danger in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, it was the Ethiopian eunuch. He wasn't high-minded. He's a great example for us. His story reminds me of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 who desired to have his servant healed by Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10, we read this. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion besieging him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will not come and heal him. Or I will, I will, I will not. I will come and heal him. That would make the story way different. (laughs) And a terrible cross-reference. But but Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And then down to verse 13, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now listen, there's a very important connection in these two stories, and we don't have the time to dive into all of it, but if you, if you take the time to study out the Ethiopian eunuch and this centurion, there's, there's some, some great comparisons that, that you can glean from that study. But, but one of them is that these were both men of authority, and it, and it says that specifically in, in, each, in each passage. And authority is a key word here, and it's a key to understanding where we're going with this point. Because with both Philip and Jesus, from a physical perspective, they were not the authority over the guys that were listening to them. Now, they were in their knowledge of Scripture, but that would have been it. And I know that Jesus was God, so he's the ultimate authority, but he was also a man. And as a man, he held no position of authority over the centurion. Just like Philip held no position of authority over the eunuch. In fact, it would have been the opposite in both cases. But both of those seekers submitted themselves in humility to the guys that were under them in social stature, but could lead them to the Lord. 
And it's because they had the right heart. It all comes back to our heart. And I know that they had the right heart because in Matthew 8, 13, Jesus told the centurion that he healed his servant because of the centurion's belief. Right? Another key word. And where does Romans 10, 10 say that belief comes from? For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made known unto salvation. And so for both the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 and with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, they both believe because in Acts 8.37, a verse that is not included in, in most other Bible versions today, by the way, the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, they both believed on Jesus, and that belief was rooted in their heart. And it allowed them, having the right heart in this area, allowed them to be humble before those that, that were not their authority. Because their heart were right. They didn't allow their positions and stature in life to keep them from getting exactly what they needed and from drawing close to the Lord. But listen, unfortunately, that is exactly what happens so much today. The people never meet the Lord. Or, or even if they, they meet him and they get saved, they never draw close to him and build a relationship with him. All because they will not humble themselves before him. And their own pride keeps them from the Lord. It keeps them from salvation. It keeps them from sanctification. And where does that pride come from? It comes from the heart. A heart that is not right before the Lord, just like Simon the sorcerer's. In fact, the first mention of the word humble in the Bible is found in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 3. And it's in the, we won't take the time to go there, but it's in the context of Moses telling Pharaoh to let Israel go from their bondage. And, Mo, and Moses told Israel that he needed to humble his hard heart. It's because our, our heart is connected. We're, we're either going to show humbleness or we're going to show pride. Now, you know, maybe one day it's humbleness, maybe the other day it's pride. But we're going to show one of those two because it's all connected to our heart. Obadiah, you know, one of the minor prophets, only one chapter. Verse 3 of Obadiah says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, and thou dwellest in the clefts of the rocks, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? This is a great cross-reference to Jeremiah 17.9 that we looked at last week, right? The heart is deceitful. Right? And is desperately wicked. And so here is the pride of thine heart hath de deceived thee. And the problem with that verse is if you live in pride long enough to the point of deception, I told you, you can fool yourself. That's how, that's how wicked our heart is. If, if we don't check it and we don't examine it and evaluate it on a constant basis and we allow pride to creep in, then our heart can even fool us. And we think that we're okay when we're not. And if we get to that point of deception, at some point you'll get the answer to that question at the end of Obadiah verse 3. Who shall bring me down to the ground? Because you not, might not think anyone can bring you down. The Ethiopian eunuch, I'm sure if he would have just looked at things physically, he's like, who can touch me? Who can touch me? But you'll learn that that's not true. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. But then on the flip side, somebody who has a humble heart, the Bible says, will be honored, will be exalted, right? Will be given grace from the Lord. We know these verses, James 4.6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, our exaltation is coming later. If, if we can just wait, if we can humble ourselves in this earth, our exaltation is, is coming in the, in the world to come. We just can't have it both ways. Do you want it now or later? I vote for later. And having that eternal focus instead of just a temporal focus. And not getting caught up in, in, in the success of this life. But being focused on the success of the life to come. That should be more important to us. 2 Timothy 2.12 in the context of the millennium says if we suffer, 
we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And, and I don't have time to run all these references for you, but our exaltation is related to our reigning in the millennium. That's if we'll humble ourselves now, we'll be exalted. We'll reign with him in the millennium. But listen, our pride is related to denying him. Because if we live this life in pride, we're saying that we're in charge. And the, it's in, in all practical elements of life, we are denying who he is as Lord. And when he, we deny him, he denies us. And again, that not, has nothing to do with salvation. The context is a millennium and context is, is, is reigning and ruling in the millennium. But listen, that aspect of pride being connected to denying the Lord, you say, man, those are, those are strong words. Look all throughout the Bible. It was true of Lucifer. It was true of Jonah. It was true of Peter. Every time someone denies Christ, it's because there's pride in them. And when we have pride in us, whether you know it or not, you're denying Christ at some level. You're denying that he is the Lord of your life at a minimum. I've told you this before, but it's important enough that I put it on your outline sheet. I've put it on the outline sheet before, but I put it on your outline sheet again because I want you to get it. The biggest danger we face in this life is pride. Not anything else. There's nothing this world can bring at you that is more dangerous. Pride is the biggest danger that we face. And it's because it has eternal consequences, even for the believer. Because it limits our ability to draw close to the Lord now, which also has eternal consequences. It's all tied together. So if you want to be a seeker, you need to have a humble heart like the Ethiopian eunuch. And listen, you, sh you know this. We all know this. It doesn't, shouldn't come as any surprise. You won't receive from the Lord in pride. If you can't humble yourself, then you cannot be a seeker. You are not a seeker because you don't desire it. Because you think you have it figured out and your way is the right way. But that is not what we see. In Scripture, that's not what we see from the Ethiopian eunuch. He acted humble because he was humble. He just wanted to draw close to the Lord. But then second, the second attribute we see from the Ethiopian eunuch that gives him the heart of a seeker is that he accepted help. He acted humble. He was humble. And the second, he accepted help. So in his humility, he allowed Philip, a man of lower social stature, to join him. But not only that, he asked Philip to come and sit with him in order to help him understand the scriptures. Look at verses 30 through 35 again. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. He desired, he asked Philip, Will you come up and sit with me? The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before a shear, so opening not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from earth. And the eunuch answered, Philip said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And what a great interaction this was. And first of all, it is noteworthy that the Ethiopian eunuch had a copy of at least the book of Isaiah. Not everyone did at that time. And, and again, this point, and he had the, you know, the financial means to do so, but it also points to his desire to know God. And listen, that is, this, is something, this is an area we absolutely take for granted today. It hasn't always been the case that people had access to Scripture like we do today. And, it, and it's not even like that all over the world today. There are people that would die to have a copy of Scripture, even today. Because the Word of God is precious but it doesn't feel like that to us because, you know, we have four Bibles at home on our shelf that we haven't even picked up in years. You know, we, we get to choose what Bible we take to church, you know, every Sunday. And we have multiple copies. And, and so because of that, we take it for granted. We absolutely should not. It is a precious thing that we hold in our hands, the very words of God. And so that was certainly the case in that day for the Ethiopian eunuch. He would have had to search out a copy to seek it out. And he did that. He sought it out because he wanted to understand it. Because he wanted a relationship with the Lord. We have access to it. And we might have five different Bibles in our home and we don't care a thing about understanding it. 
And we just let it sit there. We don't pick it up during the week. Man, what a shame that is. And that's pride. That's pride because you think you don't need it. You think you can do it on your own. So you do. And you're denying the Lord the whole time. That's exactly what it is. He wanted to understand it. He wanted a relationship with the Lord. But with that, he needed help. And listen, he had been to Jerusalem to worship. He'd gone all the way from Ethiopia, however far that d- travel distance was, in chair, by chariot. He went there to worship, and that didn't cut it. He was on his way back. No better than how he arrived. And that didn't bring him an understanding of Scripture. Because the religion alone doesn't. Religion alone doesn't save. Religion alone doesn't mean you're going to understand God's word and know what it means to know God. Going to church isn't what saves you. Going to church doesn't mean you're going to understand God's word and what it means for you. Even coming to a church like ours that lays out the word of God, not, not perfectly, but, but we, do it, we do it pretty well. And just coming here doesn't mean you're going to automatically get it. It doesn't happen through osmosis. You need some help. Now, of course, the ultimate help that you need is the Spirit of God. That is who ultimately teaches you God's Word. John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remember, whatsoever things I have said unto you. John 16, 13, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So it's the Holy Spirit that ultimately teaches us God's Word. So that means you can't grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit of God in your life and still expect to learn God's Word and understand what the Bible has for you. It's not how it works. But not only that, the Holy Spirit also uses other men and women in our lives, just like he used Philip on this day in Gaza. And the point is, the Ethiopian eunuch let him. He was not too prideful to sit with and under another man. He was willing to admit that he didn't know what he didn't know. And what he didn't know, what he didn't understand, was what he was reading in Isaiah chapter 53. And it's no coincidence that God led a seeking man to this chapter. This chapter makes up one of the great prophecies speaking what was at the time of the writing, the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were talking, that Messiah had come. And so Philip could perfectly explain to him that passage and who it was pointing to. And it wasn't Jesus as a conquering king, but instead as a lamb dying for the sins of the world. And Philip was able to lay out the beautiful picture, right? He was reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, that says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, <coughs> yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living and for the transgression of my people was he stricken? And that lamb was Jesus. Just as John the Baptist declared in John 1.29 when he said, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And through this exchange, the Ethiopian eunuch was able to understand the depths of Scripture and what it meant for him. But he needed help to do it. He needed help to get there. And that's okay. We all do. Myself included. And what he said specifically was that he needed a man to guide him. And that's a pretty specific word that has a specific meaning in Scripture. And it's not only to teach. It certainly does mean to teach. But it extends beyond that to judgment and discernment and counsel. It goes, to, it goes much deeper than just giving intellectual knowledge. It includes giving application. That's what guiding is. And I think I put that on your outline sheet. It includes giving application. Because it's deeper. Psalm 25.9 says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. You see, there's a difference in guiding in judgment and teaching. There's a deeper layer. Psalm 73.24, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, 
and afterward receive me to glory. Psalm 112 verse 5 says, A good man showeth favor and lendeth, he will guide his affairs with discretion. It's how to apply what the Word of God says. And also, probably not surprisingly, this, this aspect of being guided in the Word of God is connected to the heart and not just the head. Proverbs 23, 19 says, Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. So the word guide gets to a more intimate level of help than you might just think on the surface. It's an investment, not just a teacher, but a discipler. Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Not just learning the word of God, but how to apply the word of God. And the truth is, there are too many Christians that even though they definitely need someone to help them not only understand the Bible, but just help them walk the Christian life, they won't submit to it. And they won't accept the help that comes from another brother or sister in Christ. Why? Because they have too much pride. It goes back to the exact same spot. It's a heart issue. They're too stubborn. They just don't want to be held accountable. So they go about it on their own. But that's not the model we see in the Bible. It is okay to ask for help. It's okay to need help. Be willing to submit to it. That's why we do discipleship the way we do it, because it allows one person to invest their life into another. Those lessons are just a tool. And they're a fine tool. They're even a good tool. But the, but the, the real, you know, quote-unquote magic of discipleship is the investment of your life into someone else. It's sharing the life that I have in Christ with someone else. And being able to walk with them and guide them and give them counsel and discretion and understanding of how the Bible applies to not only my life, but how it applies to theirs. And then they can see it in action. Again, not perfectly, because we're not perfect. But that's part of the human experience. God doesn't expect perfection from us. But man, when you see, like, you know, I've told you before, I wish the Christian life was linear. It's not. Unfortunately, it's, you know, three, it looks more, a lot more like three steps forward and two steps back and two steps forward and two steps back. And, but listen, what we're trying is we're just trying to make progress. But it's way more difficult to do that alone. It's not how God designed for the Christian life to work. It's, it's, it's what we base much of what we do on. This principle, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's how God designed it to work. That's the model of Jesus with his disciples. But, but listen, this point goes even deeper than just accepting the help of another person. It gets to accepting the true help that is available only through the word of God. You see, I don't have anything to invest in anyone else except God's word and what it's done for me and what it's done in me. That's the only thing I have to invest. And you see, the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to understand the Bible. And when he did, he believed it and he accepted what it said because he accepted Jesus that day. And he was like the Thessalonians who had this said of them by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Again, this is a hard issue. It goes back to belief. And believing that God's word will do the work, that it can do the work. And this point is true for the lost person and for the Christian. And I put this on your outline sheet. The word of God has the answer to every issue in your life. But you have to accept its help. It has the answer to every issue in your life. It's fully sufficient. And you, you won't hear most people say that today. They don't believe that. But you have to accept its help. You must accept the gospel first for everlasting life with Jesus. But then after that, you must accept the help of Scripture to live a victorious Christian life. This is where so many Christians fail. They believe in Jesus for eternal life. But instead of that being the beginning of their spiritual life, in all practical purposes, it becomes the end. And at least a problem after problem after problem and they can't gain victory over sin. They can't get out of their own way. But they refuse to go to the Bible for true help. They want to do it their own way. And so they'll look to their, their friends and their family and the world or whatever. And they'll, and they'll make 
you know, bad decisions instead of looking to this book. And listen, the world's ways may sound better and they may feel better and they may even taste better. But listen, that is a grave mistake. The world is your enemy and the world hates you. And Isaiah tells us to be careful what we get from it. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 3, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel. They're getting counsel somewhere, but not of me. And that cover with the covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. They're taking counsel of the world. We're going to see that in verse 2. And what they're doing is they're compounding their own sin by adding sin to it. So where do they go? that walk to go down into Egypt, a picture of this world, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame. If you want everything this world has to offer to go get your help, you can do it, but it will be to your shame. And and the trust in the shadow of Egypt, your confusion. As you trust in what Egypt has to offer you, it will lead to your shame and it will lead to your confusion. And we see it play out every single day, not only in this world, but also in the church, especially in the church at large. And it's just confusing thing after confusing thing. And You want to know why nothing in this world makes sense? You want to know why somehow seemingly logical human beings could come up with the conclusion that there's X number of genders, anything more than two? And they can actually believe that? And they're confused about what, the, what uh, you know, is a man and a woman and they can't define it? And, and that's just one issue. Confusion abounds everywhere. You know why? Because they've gone to Egypt. Because they refuse to go to the Word of God. The only source of truth in this life. The only answer. That's it. And when you go to the world, you're doing the exact same thing. And it will be to your shame and it will be to your confusion. And you'll look back at this church and you'll say, they make no sense. No, they don't understand. They're doing it all wrong been deceived. You've allowed your heart to be filled with pride to the point of deception. The word of God is not enough for you. That you're smarter. You know better. It won't end well. I promise you. And it's so subtle because the world sounds so good. And the books they write sound good until you line them up with what the Word of God has to say. And I'll tell you, they're not good. This is good. There's one book that's good. Has everything you need, every answer. And if you can't get them for yourself, ask someone who knows more than you. That's That's the path, I promise you. That is the help you need. Melissa, I know sometimes that is not easy. It's not easy to be willing to open yourself up. After what may be years of not being honest, our pride sure doesn't like being honest now. It's exactly what you need. You need help. So get it. There's people that want to help you. It doesn't matter how deep you are. We want to help pull you out. We're not going to look at you in shame. Listen, there are consequences for sin, and sometimes you got to deal with what you got to deal with. But let's get you out. There's a path. There's a better way. Don't live in your pride. Be willing to accept the help. We want to help you, I promise you. We're not looking sideways because we're all there, and we're all a step away. Man, just get the help. Be honest now. It's necessary to be a seeker and get everything out of the Christian life that God's designed. And that brings us to our third attribute, and I'm, and I'm way behind, so I apologize. But 
Not only did the Ethiopian eunuch act humble and accept help, third, he addressed hindrances. He addressed hindrances. Look back at our story, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. But the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch accepted help. And Philip preached unto him Jesus. So he learned something, but learning wasn't enough. There were still hindrances to him having a relationship with God. So he asked, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip answered and said, listen, getting baptized, it won't do you any good unless you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is who he said he is and, and did what he said he did. The only thing that hinders you right now is belief. And what was the eunuch's answer? He said, I believe. He didn't want anything to hinder him from a relationship with God, so he addressed what he needed to address, the one thing that was holding him back in that moment. And what's interesting here is that this is, is really where we see the transition from, the, from that kingdom gospel to the Jews, this gospel of grace uh, to the Gentiles. This is where we really see it taking off. Now, we're, we're still in a transition over the next few chapters, but, but the Ethiopian Union becomes the first man in the New Testament to be saved like us, at least the way it's described here, because there are no tongues, there are no laying on of hands, there's no water baptism until after belief and salvation. There are no signs and miracles. It's even different than what was happening in Samaria earlier, you know. So, and, and those were Samaritans, not, not just Jews. And so there's even, we see this, even within this chapter, we see this, this, this change. New things are happening to new groups of people. Um, and, and, and Ethiopian eunuch wanted in. He wanted in on, on, on what was new. And it's such a great example for us today because he, we allow... So many things to get in our way of building a relationship with God. Whether it's coming to a saving faith or, or building a personal relationship with God after coming to that saving faith. And, and again, it goes back to pride. And we are, we're, we're too prideful, we're too busy, too many other things, whatever. And they, we allow those to get in the way of, 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 of really drawing close to the Lord. And listen, because here's what it is many times. And I put this on your outline sheet. Many times the hindrance isn't a what, but a who. That's what Paul told the Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? See, much of the time it's a person that gets in our way. And for whatever reason, you can't break off that relationship and it hinders your walk with God. It hinders your ability to obey the truth. Because you can know this for sure. If you are trying to build a relationship with the Lord or trying to move forward serving the Lord or live a life of real purpose, Know that Satan's going to oppose that. And many times he uses others. And it can look differently for different people. It can look many different ways. So, for example, you might even have people that you thought were your friends. And so they might not openly and outright oppose you. But they're, they're not really for your best and what's best for you. And, and if that's the case, they're not really your friends after all. So because of that, you need to constantly be evaluating who you are spending time with, who are you, you are listening to who has influence in and over you. Because sometimes the hindrance is in your face and it's very clear, but other times it's, it's sneaky and it's subtle. And they're opposed to you and you don't even know it yet. You see, and I put this on your outline sheet as well, not everyone who is by your side is for your good. And that's a lesson some people in this room need to learn this morning. Those hindrances, they don't want from you what God wants from you. And they may be family, they may even be friends you've had for a long time. They may even go to this church. But if they're not going where you're going, you might need to ask yourself some hard questions. And maybe even make some hard decisions. And maybe listen to Solomon this morning who said in Proverbs 9.6, Forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of the understanding. Because Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That destruction thing is something you should want to avoid. So, I mean, you've already been down that road, and you know what I'm talking about. Who you spend time with, who you allow into your life at an intimate level, it matters. There is no doubt about it. Because, again, the devil's going to try to use human agents in his work to stop or at least hinder you from truly seeking the Lord. Don't allow it. 
So there may be people in your inner circle of acquaintance or even on sitting in the same row as you right now. And truth be told, they won't actually like it if you give your life fully to the Lord. You know, the sad thing is some of the greatest enemies of the church go to a church every Sunday. Not everybody goes to church to praise the Lord and hear from Him and learn His Word. But don't let that discourage you. Don't let that hinder you. It just becomes a matter of perspective. So let me give you the right perspective. Here's the right way to look at it. One of the ways you can know you're headed in the right direction is that there's, you know, there's headwinds. And there's opposition against you. That's Bible. So evaluate the people around you and spend time with those who are going the same way you're going, who are serving the Lord. And if anyone doesn't fit in that box, then maybe you need to walk away from them. And it may be hard. I get it. But listen, God will give you new people to walk towards. In fact, it might not be enough just to walk away from the bad influences. You might need to actively walk towards some good ones. Go seek them out. Go find them out and ask for their help. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where no counsel is, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So whether it's a person or a thing, it doesn't even matter. Whatever is keeping you from serving the Lord and giving your life fully to him, will you address it this morning? Will you put it away? Will you draw close to the Lord? Apply Hebrews 12, 1 that says, Seeing wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We need to lay aside the hindrances that come into our life and keep us from the Lord. So let me ask you as we're closing, let me ask you, what's keeping you from the Lord right now? What's keeping you from drawing close to an intimate relationship with him, going all in with him? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it a friend? Is it your love for the things of this world? Whatever it is, can you learn from the Ethiopian eunuch and dive in with what the Lord has for you? For him who was getting saved and baptized. Does that apply to you? Maybe there's someone in here and you need to get saved this morning. And there's never been a time in your life where you have accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ. You've never placed your belief in that to get you to heaven. Man, if there's something holding you back, would you lay that aside this morning? Would you get saved today? Quit letting something or someone hinder you from making the most important decision of your life. Maybe it's baptism for you. What are you waiting on? You saw four people do it today. It's not that hard. What's hindering you? Can, can you put aside the hindrances that's keeping you from committing? Why don't you sign up today? Maybe it's joining our church. We have a new members luncheon on November 19th. What's keeping you from going? What's keeping you from learning? We're not going you know, to force you into joining this church. We just want to tell you what we're about and see if God will knit our hearts together. Maybe it's discipleship. We have a cost of discipleship coming up in December. We announced it today. Once you sign up for it today, and if you don't know how to work the Church Center app, just put it on your connection card. It's fine. These are all decisions that you won't regret, and they're decisions that are required of a seeker. Act humble, accept help, and address hindrances. Let's all learn from the Ethiopian eunuch and draw closer to the Lord than we ever have. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.